0: Hello again, and welcome to Jokerman Podcast. Where today it's a guest who's come back for a very important message about a very important book that he's written. It's Ian Svanonis in conversation against the written word. I
1: always thought we came from the same breed. I always thought we came from the same species. I always thought you looked a little like me. I always thought we came.
2: From the same tree I
1: it's the first anti-literacy tract it's the first book that takes a principled stance against literacy it's to- its uh, subtitle is toward a universal illiteracy right it's um it's exhorting its reader to um, make it the last book they ever read. Uh, it's the book to end all books. And I, I know what the the listener is thinking. They're thinking, well, you know, there's really no downside to literacy. But maybe there is. With the world being transformed into words through the digital paradigm, the mass media mind control, that is, reading is more... Present than ever, and it's more insidious, and it's sinister. It's actually sinister. Without uh, literacy, the ruling class could never uh, make us, uh, you know, care about their, uh, you know, debauched program of, you know, foreign wars and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that, uh, that's kind of the book in a nutshell. That's the first essay of a book that consists comprises of. 19 essays actually Um, there's sci-fi stories there's plays there's various essays and um, manifestos and um, but the first one is against the written words anti-literacy universal literacy it's a very new thing you know it's essentially an enlightenment program and what is the enlightenment the enlightenment was the middle class the bourgeoisie taking power from the aristocracy and the and the church who were allies so they needed literacy they needed mass literacy to utilize the awesome power of the working class or the workers essentially the bourgeoisie through literacy were able to harness the power of the masses to do their bidding so, for example, the, the beginning of this, you know, enlightenment bourgeois putsch it was, was the American Revolution, the French Revolution. And uh, those, both those revolutions were really achieved through pamphlet hearing. Common Sense by Thomas Paine is the most celebrated example of these pamphlets that really shifted public opinion and harnessed the awesome power of the worker for the purpose of the bourgeois push. zines. Yeah, you know, zines, essentially, exactly. Before mass literacy, there was writing, but it was essentially, you know, the only writing was sort of in these sort of overarching religious, like the church used Latin. In China, they had this these kind of ideograms. Islam had a particular Quranic alphabet. But the people within these areas all spoke their own dialects and their own tongues. So I'm looking at that as a kind of Edenic period where people weren't debauched by written language. They weren't as easily manipulated by written language. There wasn't mass media constantly. There were these um, little
0: groups of people with their own idiosyncratic ways of communicating with each other. And they could kind of, within that, there were parallels all over, but they weren't all the same thing. Exactly, yes. It was not monoculture. It wasn't monoculture, no. What was culture before monoculture was many different cultures which had things in common. They did care about the same things, but they had their own ways of expressing it.
1: Exactly, yes. And so then with the written word, with the Gutenberg Bible, which was you know initially used to push Protestantism, which of course was the kind of forerunner of capitalism and, you created, essentially created, you know... A pay-for-play model. Yes, and uh, so the Gutenberg Bible introduced nationalism through the the standardization of a language for an area. So, for example, Italy, which had, uh, you know, a thousand dialects, you know, suddenly their Florentine Italian was the Italian, erased all these different dialects and all these different cultural differences. So in a sense, this uh, universal literacy was a premonition of this neoliberal model where there's Starbucks, you know, everywhere that you go is exactly alike.
0: You write about tourism in the book. Tourism.
1: Yeah. I was thinking about tourism and neoliberalism. So the neoliberal model is kind of like, get the worker to pay their own way and tell them that it's an opportunity for the future. And, uh, in a sense, the Roman legion of today might just be these, might be us, you know, as tourists that were this kind of soft power occupying army, but we pay our own room and board as opposed to the old. The
0: we don't even get our like saucer of blood and vinegar or whatever they were eating.
1: Yeah, of salt. I <laughs> mean they were giving salt. <laughs> yeah, they were on salt? They were given salt. Yeah, that's famous. Roman legionaries paid in salt.
0: What do you do with it?
1: I think you put it on food. (laughs) (laughs) Or if there's ice on your driveway. Right.
0: Well, you go home and ice your driveway. Go back to the front. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) To Tulum. (laughs) Exactly. I thought a great part of your book was... There's a section about rock and roll and about the way that rock and roll those two things, <laughs> rock music is sort of a uh, a potential vehicle, a potential tool in the absence of literacy. you know it begs the question, what do you do then? How do you communicate? What is the medium of the illiterate? And I think that you make the case that rock music which started that way, became a tool of corporate powers, and then was found to be inefficient as such, is now uh, abandoned, abandoned, dusty, broken, and uh, waiting for something. Resurrection. When rock and roll first started,
1: it was really seen by the ruling class as a threat to literacy and to the program of literacy because of its gobbledygook doo-wop uh language you know it was all
0: like blah blah you know shooby doo-wop things like the bird is the word which is you know that's not necessarily the case yeah the bird is the word yeah
1: exactly nonsense yeah you know you look at the bible the the bible says first there was the word and the word was god so when they say the bird is the word it's like that's a kind of refutation of God, and so rock and roll was feared at first. The threat was that it was going to create illiteracy in its listeners and it was going to upend the ruling class's project of total control and manipulation. But eventually, it was sort of absorbed into a ruling class paradigm with the, the poet thing with Leonard Cohen and Jim Morrison and Bob Dylan. We, you know, we, we love these guys, but they were a kind of recuperation money laundering yeah they, of, of they're a recuperation the pro- <laughs> you know from you know basically like re- rehabilitating rock and roll from its original super primitive roots although you could argue that bob dylan is also nonsense the, or he's the, basically gobbledygook
0: more or less And i think he actually has embraced that as he has aged and then found that that in, a, in the same way that he is guilty of that he's also uh Found ways to make that profound, and then gone beyond it. And it's possible to do those things, but for the, the, I think the general case is is true. It's true. It's just like either it's an ineffectual propaganda tool, or it's kind of like a a novelty, or moves you. Yeah, rock and roll has a kind of interesting p- position in that way. It doesn't really have one use. And it doesn't really do one thing particularly well. It does like a couple things at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why it's endlessly fascinating and compelling. That's why we've all dedicated our lives to to it. But that brings us to the next issue in the book, which is that rock and roll. It was taken up by the kind of post-war generation. In a sense, the they're called the boomers, and you know I don't want to get in on this dog pile. You know, this kind of kick them when they're down. I hate the boomers thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. not into that. But the post-war generation took on rock and roll as a kind of avatar. Their mouthpiece. It was their attack dog or whatever. It was the thing that they put their, their message into. So our concept of rock and roll shadows the development of the boomer generation. When the boomers were teeny boppers, you think of rock and roll from that period as teeny bopper music. You know, in the 50s, it's about puppy love. It's always about power. It's like, oh, we're young. You know, they say we're too young, but we're not too young. You know, that's a striking contrast to modern ideology, which is that, like, people are never old enough to have sexual power. Do you know what I mean? Like, now it's like, I'm only 30. I don't know. I can't be trusted Yeah, <laughs> to make my own decision. But in the 60s, it's all about more power. It's about, like, let's take over the university and create a student union. And then in the 70s, it shadows the, the boomers because it's like, oh, well, now we're kind of divorcees or or we're young adults and we're just like knowing. So it's the Fleetwood Mac. It's about love triangles and key parties. Then in the 80s, it's suburban. Like now we're settled in, but we're going to be nostalgic. And then, then it's Night Moves by Bob Seeger. We're all talking about like fucking in the backseat. The whole thing becomes this obsession with 50s backseat car culture, you know, and like... Do-op resurgence. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so now, rock and roll, if you see it as shadowing the boomers' development, now it's actually senile, dead and senile. So now (laughs) it's original promise of creating illiteracy, and now it can be realized, essentially. (laughs) It's shaken. The people who utilize it as propaganda and as their kind of like scepter of might have now run their course
0: we are living in the, under joe biden at the moment this is uh the, the biden era and uh that is the state of rock and roll and it's perfect like yeah, that he's is a, a
1: gray he's a gray-faced zombie who like stutters incoherently
0: about like being in his cadillac when he was like you know 70 years ago whatever <laughs> it's like might as well be ancient history He's he's re- recalling putting on pomade while he's talking about nuclear brinksmanship.
1: Yeah, and they're all re- and they're reliving, you know, the Cold War. You know, they're kind of like, well, you know, that's the, that's another interesting thing, isn't it? Nostalgia, Bo- boomer nostalgia, is now reaching its apex with this kind of the end Cold of life
0: nostalgia. Yeah. That the nostalgia has ripened into the the intense. Uh, deathbed nostalgia well but
1: not only that but like resentment of people who are going to outlive them let's face it the people who hold the reins of power really resent that that others will outlive them and enjoy the world without them and they want to use it up as, as much as they can and if they can destroy the world they will
0: are you worried about that?
1: I don't think we can be too worried about things we have no control over. That's how I try to think about it too, frankly. I was in a cab with this, you know, I'm from DC and you know, the cab driver was from Ethiopia and you know, he, I was in a hurry and I was being really uptight. And, you know, he just told me, you know, Hey, we've, we we can not do anything about this traffic. I
2: was like, yeah, you're right. Wow. This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your titles, your Instagram's, and any other. Streaming service, of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy, with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes. Getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The Kid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today.
0: I mean when you you do go insane, when you have the power at your fingertips and you you're never gonna feel like you can't do something about it. If you're that powerful, you're yeah. always going to think there's something I can do. Well, think of what a high it must be to be like elect- I mean,
1: it must be so intoxicating to know that you can just destroy the world. That's it. That's a high I would love to experience. In fact, I think they should, you know, Warhol had his whole thing of celebrity, 15 minutes, blah, blah, blah. But I think everybody should be allowed to be the president for 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, we should just cycle every 15 minutes just everybody gets a chance. so
1: everybody gets the briefing you know by the deep you state, get an
0: alert on your you know? phone that says you're the president now
1: <laughs> so first you have to go through like a little tutorial like deep state takes you into the room and they're like all right they you know aliens run everything and really this is what's going on and blah 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 and
0: you know you can make it so that like you regiment it like in schools like you already have a list of who's next so then like somebody's going to have to be president next. And then they, they give them like a spe- they put them in a like special ed class where they tell them those things. Yeah. And then you you disabuse
1: like- them of their fantasies. Once you become the president, you stop being, you are no longer partisan. You know, there's, they're no longer partisan, you know, like the whole, the facade is over. So this brings us to illiteracy. And, you know, because you were saying, what do you do about this? like, yeah we can't control this stuff how do you deal with it do you it's, it makes you insane Why does it make you go insane because every day you wake up and the New York Times has some new fear propaganda maniacal you know narrative in their newsletter and you know and you're or whoever your whatever your news source is and You know, and you read it reflexively and then all day long you're inundated with this kind of, you know, it's all this, these word weapons that are being used to kind of terrify, manipulate us. And we always have to, you know, so as the kind of digital overlords are reducing the world into, they're transforming the world into words. People say to me about against the written word, they say, well, no one reads anymore anyway. And that's really not true.
0: People read more than they've ever read. The thing that you've hit upon with the book, which I think is really important, uh, is this idea, you know, I have been thinking a lot about how, like, you do only really have your word. Like, words are kind of everything. Text is everything in a way.
1: Especially in this legalistic era that we're living in, where everything that you say is kind of parsed, you know, Sure. You
0: if you, I don't know. I think about the example of like, if you're talking to a blind man, uh, and y- you, you could lie to them. Like the idea that somebody would lie to a blind person is, you know, what about it's taking candy. it's horrible. Yeah. Taking candy from, from a, a baby, blind <laughs> from a blind man or taking candy from a blind baby. You know, the worst thing, the worst sin <laughs> that could be committed, uh, but seriously, it's like, that is kind of how all of us are. Like, we all might as well be kind of blind, except for the things that we know about each other, that we tell each other in, in the form of language. Um, and to pervert that, to use that as some kind of a a thing that can be toyed with, uh, really, what is the answer to dealing with that? It, it is just to look away, to know when to look away, to know when to not read. I don't... I purposefully don't read certain things i have muted words on twitter i just like don't need to see what ha- everyone has to say about everything all the time more and you more can people mute words could... on twitter oh boy yes you can really yeah you can mute words you can make it so you never see a sentence with um neurodivergent in it What's Nerd River? What is
1: that? Uh, it's nerd- just, a.
0: I mean, it, it, that's just an example that came up. It's just a, a sort of um, glossy euphemism for uh, mental uh, illness. Oh, yeah. Sort. Oh, yeah.
1: It's like this celebration of mental illness.
0: Yeah, it's the way of making it like more of a, a bad thing and less of a bad thing at the same time. But I really do think that the book is valuable for the way that it points toward a thing that is true, that you just Hit upon, which is like, you you only can stay sane at a certain point without reading everything you see. Like you got, you can notice those words and not read them. Yeah. You don't have to eat everything you you look at. You can't you can't live that way.
1: The only way to rest free from the program of the ruling class and their psychotic lust for power is to stop reading their filth the poison of mass literacy. It reduces communication into rhetoric and sophistry and legalese and this linguistic engineering that we're seeing more and more. And, uh, you know, where people are communicating less, there's less kind of exchanges. You know, a lot of the scandals, you know, there's no rebuttal or discussion. Like when you have a miscommunication, you call the person, they hash it out but with the written word that's impossible true it it's just a legal it's document.
0: chiseled in stone uh you know i feel like you are are especially good and savvy at using instagram and other such things well you don't have a twitter which is funny but you don't but you yeah, have people a,
1: always you know, say, you'd be really good at twitter blah blah you, but
0: i you're better at instagram and you're better suited for it because it's actually it is more in line with the ethos of against the written word in that it's picture-based. It's It really, I think puts more emphasis on experience if you have the right attitude about it. And I notice, I mean, the way that you operate tends to be like, uh, I think you put a noble focus on the, on the image rather than on the, the text. And I think that actually it's a great support to what you've written in the book is like, reorienting oneself to not take the text part of things too seriously and use I think social media is like a a great tool a great communicative tool if you know that it's in reference to life not not the other way around like you I think have a very fine grasp of that
1: well thank you thanks No, that's 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 cool. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It's, it's very like, I mean, all of them are nefarious in their own way. Sure. Twitter, yeah, it's
0: broadening like, Twitter always
1: struck me as like the most kind of psycho.
0: Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's like a million people writing their little manifesto and you, you're supposed to pay attention to all of it. But even Twitter, it's like it, the more ephemeral these things become, I think the, the better off. Just in the same way, you wouldn't cling to one sentence someone said. Like you, it's more dynamic. Like if these things are going to be communicative tools, it's got to be that like we have a more casual approach to them, and that starts with not having to read all of it, not feeling you have to, avoiding reading sometimes. So
1: you know, like somebody like like Eli, because I just don't follow it enough. Elon Musk, he's obviously like a military-industrial complex straw man, you know, and they've kind of primed the audience for this figure through these Marvel, you know, movies or whatever, Yeah. and he's supposed to be this genius, kind of playboy genius-like ultimate man, and every college kid in America just loves him, you know, or every kind of conservative you know, like every frat boy, you know, in America loves him, and then... He took over Twitter, and then suddenly became a public enemy number one. And you know, because the, like the people who celebrated him sort of turned on him in a really like, you know, like dramatic way. You know, where it was almost like it's almost, and it's almost like we're watching the Con, the Kanye saga. You know what I mean? Like in a way with him. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, he's
0: very bad at being what he's supposed to be. I think yeah. that he's just a failure. At what, like it—it it really speaks to the the bankruptcy of the whole project to begin with. Like that thing of him, like being Tony Stark, like Iron Man in real life. It, it really just says so much about how flimsy that premise is. He is as phony as can be because it's not based on a. a an adult view of the complexities of anything. He's just—he literally is like a, a mascot. And it's like putting the microphone up to Mr. Met. Like, what is he going to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what does he say?
1: Yeah. What's your take as somebody who uses Twitter? Because I've never used Twitter really. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what. Why do you think the like the journalistic or the media world kind of like turned on him when he took over Twitter? Why wouldn't they be excited about that?
0: Well, I think that. It was just a matter of him being, like, yeah, just genuinely like, so bad at being... He's not a born poster, uh, as they say. Like, he has no feel. Has no game. Yeah, no game. He has no game.
1: He doesn't yeah. have a deft touch on Twitter. Right. So For who example... Does?
0: Who's the most... Donald Trump was the best yeah, at Twitter. Yeah, the... it, he was too good. They took yeah. him off. But he was actually the best at Twitter. You know that one where he... Have you, I don't know if you've even seen some of these, but there there are tweets from him that are some of the best, the funniest things I've ever read. There's one where it was during the uh, primaries with Elizabeth Warren, and it was like this thing where she had done a video where she's in her kitchen with uh, with her husband. Best line in the Elizabeth Warren beer catastrophe is to her husband. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. It's their house. He's supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of thing that is, you know, why Donald Trump first made his career as an entertainer. And someone like Elon Musk, they made the fatal mistake of putting someone who has no charisma into the place of an entertainer uh, role, which is like, it turns out no matter what happens, no matter how different the world is, as we barrel into the future, You cannot replace that old razzle dazzle. Yeah, like you just don't. You have have it or you don't, and it's like always going to be true. That's why Jews kind of tend to succeed. Timing. Jews have timing. We talk about Jews all the time on our program. You talk about Bob Dylan in the book, toward the end, in a screed. If you pardon me,
1: uh, against marijuana. Against against marijuana. Somebody's got to take a stance against marijuana. This whole thing is just like it's turning. Listen, this is, this is what I'm saying, you know, is like if you think about marijuana and, you know, it started as a, it was counter It was the underclass drug. It was uh, in America. And um, I mean, really you could see it as a, as a sacrament of the Rastafarians, you know, it was actually, you know, reggae music is essentially, it's like the wellspring of like half of modern culture, you know, reggae, you know, created hip-hop. It's like, you know, everybody, you know, the Rolling Stones, Serge Gainsbourg, everybody goes, you know, suicide. Like, everybody's copying the innovations of the the Jamaican underclass. And then similarly, blues musicians, jazz musicians, smoking weed. It's like, okay, so this paranoiac, like, irritable drug is creating this magic in an underclass context. But once you suburbanize that and give it to, like, you know, just you know, normal people in the hot tub, then you're talking about a really dangerous, it becomes a really dangerous drug. And similarly acid, you know, maybe if you're a hippie strolling down hate street and you have a God, then and you're taking acid and you think you're God, that's cool. That's fun. And that's like, you know, you realize the oneness of all matter and you're part of the universe and you're God and blah, blah, blah. Maybe you go crazy and you end up in Eureka, for the rest of your life roaming the streets. But regardless, once you make that mainstream and you give it to everybody in Palo Alto every single day, and they then you're talking about people with a God complex who also control culture. So then you're talking about people who run Google, people who run like, you know, Amazon, like they're all taking acid every day and they all think that they're God. And that's explains their obsession with control, their obsession with immortality, their hatred of the old. Yeah, there's a great concern for, you know, racism.
0: But at the same time, we're supposed to hate the poor and we're supposed to hate the old. And no one even thinks about the young. Like, you never hear about children's causes these days. It's yeah, just- you're right.
1: You know, in the 70s, that was a big thing. In the 60s, 70s, there was something called the Little Red School Book that came out in Sweden. It was like, and it's all about kids' rights, kid power. Now there's the idea that like, kids would have any kind of power is crazy. They feel In a world
0: they, where thirty year olds feel like they're children, then like what is a child? It's like less than nothing. Exactly. If you're of the idea that like being an old person takes you out of the running for being viable, that then it, you've really just made it so that there's this tiny sweet spot which no one even knows where it is when you actually are worth something and have like a valid opinion and ways of thinking. You're a perpetual teenager until you're out of the loop moron. It's a Logan's run. And you can be a child until you're in your thirties. And And then then you're over the hill. You can be groomed by an 87 year old when you're 57. (laughs) (laughs) Ian, I want to thank you for your time, for talking about... The word being against it, being for it, and a lot of other things.
1: Evan, I want to thank you for your time oh, thank having you. me on the Jokerman podcast. The one podcast that stands out like a city on the hill, yeah. a, <laughs> a gleaming citadel on the hill. I think it's just a great opportunity for for some friends to get together and just chew the fat about I don't know the latest book, maybe the book to end all books, just a important event in literature and in culture in general and in a great historical event the book tend all books against the written word i mean without a podcast i don't know where this discussion would be it would just be two people alone in the cosmos absolutely insignificant and but instead this is a moment (laughs) of absolute significance right what if the beatles were playing on sullivan and the cameras weren't on it would have just been fellas in a room playing some pretty melodies but instead they shared it with 60 million people or something
0: Just like Jokerman Podcast
1: It might not be up to those numbers yet but I think it's going to accumulate those numbers as time goes It's going to snowball over the years and people are going to access these old these old episodes the same way people watch Casablanca now
0: I just saw that Casablanca is uh, actually playing in theaters right now.
1: Played against him.
0: Restore it in 4K against We'll Sam.
1: always have Paris.
0: You can purchase Against the Written Word at iansphanonius.com. Is that right?
1: Well, actually, akashicbooks.com. Akashic. Or better bookstores everywhere.
0: Yeah, at the, the best bookstore but that you can
1: think of. visit and just take a gander. At it's a very good website. Yeah, it's, it's a groovy website, and it's named after me, which is really an honor.
0: The, that they did that is just... <laughs> it's amazing. It was like, you know, I don't know, the it was the like Christmas morning. The are not always wrong. Like, sometimes they pick the right person to <laughs> make a website for. And, you know, when you get that letter in the mail,
1: we're going to make your yeah. website for you. <laughs> You know, that's. You've got no website. There used to be a star on Hollywood Boulevard, now it's a website. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Joker Man. No,